What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Center of Attention. My name is Jimmy Pilato, and we have yet another week of not being able to go outside. Welcome back to the 2020 U.S. quarantine, where the rules are made up and your sanity doesn't matter. <clears throat> Hope everybody's having a, a good week, trying to make it through, hopefully, this last month of quarantine. I think everything that I've seen... Except for maybe California, um, everything is starting to dry, like trending towards being ready to go by May. Might be a little optimistic. I'm trying to take it one day at a time, so I'm trying not to look excuse me, too far ahead because <clears throat> I feel like that's where you get yourself in trouble. But I feel like um, the the places where I normally hear them talk about the virus. It seems like the numbers are starting to go down a little bit. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully, I mean, I think Colorado's quarantine or self-isolation, whatever you want to call it, is supposed to end the 28th of April. Um, so I, I do hope that that's something. It's going to be just me today. Um, no me portion. And then Kyle. Kyle's going to come on again next week, but... Um, he wanted to give himself a little bit of a break in between. Hope you guys enjoyed the last couple weeks of content. I feel like the sports shows, um, they're a little bit rusty right now, but I think that they're going to get better as we move forward. Um, last week's, uh, listening back to last week's episode with Kyle, um, if you guys have the same sense of humor that we do, you are probably rolling on the floor laughing. If not, you probably thought we were a bunch of idiots. But or a couple of idiots because there wasn't a bunch of us over here. Not allowed to have a bunch of friends anymore. You can only have one friend. Everybody's allowed one friend. <clears throat> Anyways, it's April fifteenth at about twelve thirty. Is when I'm recording this. This is actually kind of insane because I didn't realize that I would be recording this on my half birthday. Today is six months until I turn twenty three. And the world looks a lot different than it did before, like, last April. Obviously, that's going to happen because we didn't have a super contagious virus that was going on last April. But, I mean, at this point, last year, there's still a whole bunch of snow happening in Gunnison. And um, for the first week of spring ball, they had the football players go lift and then go right out to the practice field and shovel about four feet of snow. So everybody's backs was jacked up for a good portion of time. But now, look at me. I'm a couple, like three weeks away from graduation. I have the countdown on my phone for the actual place. Let's see. How close are we? 23 days, 21 hours, 2 minutes, and 36 seconds until I get to finally go home as a college graduate. That is almost nuts to think about. I don't feel like I'm almost... I mean, I don't feel like I'm 22 anyways. I feel like I still have the uh, temperament of a child. Just a really big, goofy kid right now, I guess. Because um, the main thing I was thinking about before I started the recording is how close... This is probably as close as I can get to uh, Robin Williams' character in Good Morning Vietnam. He was... <laughs> he, he, was he was trying to just be funny and, and boost everybody's morale and... Uh, it's 
it's it's tough trying to be that way. I mean, like I feel like last ha- last week's episode, my, the portion where I was just ranting by myself, was more of like a thirty minute bitch session than anything. But I feel like that's how a lot of my class, like a lot of the people that are in my situation, where we were feeling like we were coming up close on graduation, and then all of a sudden everything is stopped. I don't know how else you deal with that. Like I don't know how you're gonna take this good because like this was the culmination of everything this part of your senior year so supposed to be the fun part and you're not supposed to be worried about something you're not supposed to not be able to share it with other people and i'm not even an extrovert like so it's tough trying to boost morale and everything like that um And then my commanding officer hates my show, but uh, he can only do so much because it's popular. My commanding officer is my dad. Uh, When I went home for spring break, he kind of tore into the podcast and said that he didn't really enjoy it. It's probably actually the catalyst of why I started doing one show that's just sports. So if he does end up listening again, I hope he listens to just one of the sports ones. Um, But yeah, I mean, I don't know if I'm going to start off with a good morning Vietnam. I don't think I should. But that's kind of what I was, that's what I've been thinking about. That's what occupies my mind while during this quarantine. I mean, online school is so much easier than anything I've done before. As long as you stay up to date with stuff, um, it's really not that hard. Then I have one professor that's giving us 100% on all of our chapter quizzes. (coughs) Excuse me. I think except for the last one or the last two. Not sure. I'll find it real quick. So, we, yeah, so this week he's going to do the same thing with our quiz, and then we'll only have two that we actually have to worry about what we get on um, on the quizzes, so that's nice, that's a silver lining, it's also my class that going into the semester I was most worried about, mainly because it was an 8am, and I haven't had an 8am since my sophomore year, which now is two years ago, um, but I was also not of the age range that's supposed to be in that class, it's a sophomore level class for uh, psychoanalytic stats, and I had to take it this semester because I didn't start off as a communications and sociology major, so I hadn't taken that requirement yet for the uh, psycho, like the behavioral sciences statistics, I'm getting through that even though now it doesn't really seem like any of it matters because I know I'm going to have 100% on the last three quizzes no matter what. And then uh, I'm going to have to film something for like my trapeze class because we're we're still doing a collaborative project. We're just not going to be able to be near each other and I'm not going to be on a trapeze. That'll be interesting. We have a meeting about that tomorrow um, and we'll see how that goes. I don't have high hopes for it because this class... It's one of those classes where everybody wants to be the leader, but nobody's set up in their head to be the leader, or nobody has an idea of what kind of leader they want to be. Um, I mean, some people are are pretty bossy about it, and other people just, I don't know. That's an interesting, interesting class because I haven't had one of those classes in college. I mean, I took a couple acting classes in high school, and I was around a theater a little bit more in high school, and I haven't been as much here. 
Um, but uh, I definitely don't feel like I'm a special type of dork. I'm not that kind of dork. I do like a lot of the same things, but it's uh, it's not my end-all be-all. I know I need the the practice of performing, but I also... I, I'm of the mind that one person should take charge and like everybody else should put their their support in whoever's gonna take charge. Um, but when there's like eight people talking at once and nobody's listening to anybody and then they yell at you as to what you're doing and you have no clue. So you answer honestly, like I have no idea what's going on. And then they get pissed off even more about that. <clears throat> I guess it's, it's only proof that you really can't get away from a lot of the politics in the world because I had the same type of feeling towards the end of my football where everybody was asking me what we were doing and nobody was actually saying what we were doing. So I was kind of having to come up with a lot of it on the fly. And sometimes I don't like that. Um, I don't, I don't know. It's weird. Also this, this spring, not only that we're stuck inside and having to deal with the, with COVID, but Um, This is the first spring where I'm not in a sport or getting prepared for a sport coming up because in high school I was a three-sport athlete, um, so I was always busy and always running around to practice. But with college, I was only one sport, but you're still – college is when it really takes a a year-round approach. And, I mean, as soon as you finish in the fall, you get a week off, and then you start building strength back up again for the spring. And spring ball would have been starting now. Um, I guess winter conditioning would have uh, taken place after spring break, too. They were only doing one week. So they were – we were supposed to be back in school. Let's see. We were supposed to be back on the 23rd. So winter conditioning this year, if I was on the football team, was going to start the 23rd, be the 23rd, 24th, 25th, 26th, and 27th. <clears throat> and then that Saturday they'd have their first helmeted spring practice. So it was going to be a rough spring, especially having 8 a.m. I'm glad that I kind of decided – well, I mean, I knew that I was not going to play again next year and that I was going to get ready to graduate. But that just makes it feel a little bit better because I've suffered through plenty of winter conditioning and uh, none of it is fun. Even at the end, when they do the competition, we used to do, I mean, I guess the best way I can describe it is like a hog tie competition where you start on one side of the wrestling room in referee's position, um, and the coaches pair you together based on who they want to see compete against each other. And you start, and the guy on the bottom has, I think, 15 seconds to get across from that end of the room to the other end, and they have like a line set up as the finish line. And the top guy can do whatever he needs to to keep that that guy there. It's basically just like a test of will and stuff. But also if you wrestled in high school or any like wrestled at all, you have a huge advantage. Um, I actually actually almost <laughs> I basically punched a kid in the face last year. I was on I was in the top position, um, and I was going against a guy who had no idea what he was doing. Shout out Caleb if you're listening, uh, but he had never wrestled before. So when I was in the top position. Um, I was able to kind of corral him and hold him down, hold him there for a second. I think he grabbed a leg or something to try and get out. So my wrestling kicked in and I cross-faced him from about two 
post two zip codes over and uh, basically just punched him right in the face. But that was actually for as much as hard as it was and for as many injuries as I've seen it cause, like pretty sure I've seen a dislocated elbow because of that. Uh, I got slammed on like right the trap, so like the muscle right in between your head and your shoulder. I got slammed there once by the strongest kid pound for pound on our team, um, Alex Weber. And then I, for as as much like as much as that hurt and as tough as it was, I did feel a lot better afterward. When we'd go into the locker room and chug a beer to celebrate the end of winter conditioning, that always didn't go very well. But I always felt good after the physical workouts. That was always something that I I noticed that this was some this was a place where I was actually happy and uh, not having to struggle through anything. It's a, it's tough. Like a lot of the sports I'm realizing that I've done now have a huge mental toughness aspect, which I think is great because I've learned, I grew up in that setting. So I don't really, going through this quarantine, yeah, it sucks sometimes, but I've been through a lot worse, both. Like I said last week, I think that anything that I dealt with in the first semester is twice as bad as anything COVID could do to me, but also having to adapt and not knowing exactly what's going to happen. I think the mental toughness aspect of wrestling and the mental toughness that was pushed on me with football, um, I think that helps out a lot because I'm able to separate the suck from the benefit of what's going to happen later. And it doesn't mean that I don't complain because obviously I I complain a lot. If you listen to last Thursday's episode, I, I had a half an hour of complaining. I had plenty of time to do that. But uh, I do, like, it really has shown that I really, if I have kids, I want to put them into sports. Um, and And I probably want them to do the same sports that I have or have them do it in the same order that I did to where I didn't get to play football until I wrestled. I think I'm going to probably do that, implement that if I have a son. I just know that I don't want him to be like some of the people, some of the kids that I know that are in my life that um, don't know what to do when everything goes sideways. And if something doesn't go right according to plan, they freak out. I'd much rather have somebody who can adapt and overcome Um as long as they can adapt and kind of move on from something, I think that that's the best lesson you could teach a kid in life. And that's what I'm most grateful for that I was able to do and compete in so much of that kind of competition where it was either going to go right the right way or the wrong way. And I wasn't, I can do everything I can, but I wasn't in control of everything. Especially I learned that more in football around like 10 or 11 because up until that point, and I think my dad had to learn this a little bit too, but up until that point when my dad was the head coach, I always put every single loss, no matter what else happened, I always thought that it was my fault. And I think my dad, since he couldn't yell at everybody else the way he could yell at me, would also think that it was my fault that we lost. So I hated losing um, just because I thought that I was always going to get blamed and I didn't want that to happen. It wasn't a fun thing to have like 
I hate losing in general, but then to be blamed for the loss and to get your ass chewed all the way home, I just, it's like my worst. If I was going to enter into hell, that'd probably be what has to happen. Like, you feel like you play the entire game, you feel like you did a decent job or, or whatever, and then somebody comes around and tells you, no, you sucked and you're the reason that you that you lost. That's probably going to be my personal hell. My dad didn't tell me flat out that I sucked, but he did tell me everything that I did wrong. Um, and it took him, I think, until we were 10 to start being comfortable to kind of chew out the other guys that deserved it maybe a little bit more than I did. Um, not, not saying that I was always correct, but that that is the biggest lesson that my dad ever taught me was that the coach's kid or being somebody who the coaches know that they can attack to possibly get everybody else moving in the right direction i ended up kind of relishing in that role and i love that role i think being a coach's kid was one of the better things that have ever happened to me i don't know if i've told this story on the show before but um so i started playing football when i was seven and we were really good like really really good um we went undefeated all the way through the season, um, even though there was one game where we played the team that ended up beating us in the playoffs, um, they probably should have beat us that week too. We didn't play very well. It was the first time that I can notice everybody came out flat, and I didn't really know what exactly to do. I don't think that there was a lot of that I could have done. But we ended up going undefeated all the way through our regular season at seven years old. We go play the round one of the playoffs against the Arvada Bulldogs. Coach Pat Wright and his son Garrett were on that team, and uh, they were they were really good, really really good. And since we had already came back and beat them the one time, I think we thought that it was going to be super easy to beat them again, and it wasn't. It was the complete opposite. They were ready for everything that we had. They just beat us beat us up pretty much. Um, and that was how my first season of football ended, where we were putting the pads away, and that was one of the things I can remember telling my dad was like, I I can't believe that I don't get to put these on again for another year. Um, fast forward to the next year, we're in a different league, sim like about the same kind of, about the same people are on the team, um, and we're going through we. Uh, make it all the way to the playoffs again we had a really good season i don't think we were we weren't undefeated because we lost to um the warriors who we ended up playing again in the championship so we go all the way through the season um i think we also threw the last game of the season because it was one of those situations um like in 19 i think it was 96 or something or I think it was 94 where the Bills played the Oilers last week of the season and then they had to play them again the next week in the playoffs. We had one of those situations. So we played Spartan Purple? Spartan Purple or Platinum? Um, One of those two. And in the last week of the season, I think we ran one play the entire game. So uh, at the... And none of us really understood what was going on. Like None of the players understood what the coaches were doing. We thought that they had lost their minds. I'm obviously hyper-competitive and wanted to win that week and the following week. 
not realizing how difficult it would be to beat a team twice in one year. But then we go through, we beat Spartan Purple um, the next week, the first the semifinals, which is the playoffs. And then we go up and we're practicing. By this time, the time change had already happened. So we were practicing in the dark and they moved us from our normal practice field over to the baseball complex so that we had lights. And we were out in left field um, going through practice. My dad had to leave for a work meeting that he had to do, so we left early. Walks all the way across the infield. We're like dead corner of left field. That's where we're doing our drill that we're basically right underneath the foul pole. My dad walks all the way to the edge of the infield, walks across the infield, is going out the first base dugout. And all you hear from across the, the field after the play is over, what the hell was that, James? You call that effort? Seen better effort from your sister back at home. I just, like, he tore into me, and he had to yell very loud. There was another team also in center field. We had left field. There was another team practicing in center field, and they heard the chewing of my ass that my dad was doing. And I think it was, I know it was mainly to get everybody else to focus up and play because uh, nobody was really paying attention, I guess, that, that day at practice. So we ended up talking about it um, later that night, and I guess I had already understood what was going on. But he was yelling at me because a lot of the guys knew. I mean, it's a classic situation when you have a coach whose kid is on the team. You are almost, um, you're almost dumb if you don't expect them to give their kids an advantage. Now, if you have a good coach that would rather win than appease his son, you're not going to have that happen. You're not going to have those problems. Uh, but just in case that you do, even though you haven't given somebody a break, which is, I think, what my dad was doing, he would scream at me because he knew if the kids saw him planting my ass from the first base dugout when I was already standing all the way under the light pole, if they knew that he was liable to yell at me like that in that situation, then they all needed to make sure that they stayed on their toes because there was nothing that was off limits for the rest of them. Nobody else wanted to miss a blocking assignment. Nobody else wanted to miss a tackle. And we ended up having a lot of success as the youth team. Even then when we moved over, I still, I almost, I mean, I listened every time that he yelled at me. But at a certain point, it was almost getting to the, the place where I was like, I'm just not going to listen. Like, he can scream and yell and say my name as many times as he wants. Um, unless I knew that I had screwed something up. But if not, he could just yell, yell at me all he wanted. I knew what he was doing. And I knew that it was for the betterment of the team. So I have no clue how I got on that story. But that was, that's, oh, that was the mental toughness, mental toughness part of it. I think that is one of those situations where I know that I hate this situation. Like I would much rather be everything be normal, obviously. I'd rather be outside doing stuff right now. Um, I'd rather be getting ready to walk on May 9th instead of just going home on May 9th and having to wait till September to do commencement. But there, there's not shit that I can do about it. I can't control it. 
I'm going to take everything else that I can control and try and finish with as high a GPA as possible. Um, going to go back home for a while, probably until commencement at least. And then I'll just be job searching, hopefully. I'm nervous about that a little bit because, like I said last week, my industry was the first one to close down in a crisis like this. I don't know if I was just a live broadcaster for a radio station or a TV station. And looking, if you look at March and April in a regular regular year, well, let's just let's just say what was supposed to be going on right now. Before this started, we would have had the NCAA wrestling tournament, the NCAA basketball tournament, NBA is getting closer to the playoffs, NHL is coming down the home stretch, getting ready for those playoffs. Then in March, you have the Masters, the draft, baseball, and then you have the NBA playoffs starting, the NHL playoffs obviously go through that. There was a lot of stuff lined up, and I think a lot of the main broadcasters that you see on CBS, obviously they're getting they're getting taken care of by their company, but they're not making the money that they thought they would have. So now that's going to make me nervous for the rest of my life, not wanting to uh, bank on on work that I think that I'm going to have. Because if you were, say, like Joe Buck, who I know not a lot of people like, but he was going to be working a ton coming up with... Uh, the Masters, and then baseball. He obviously does a ton of baseball, and he's I think he's the best announcer in baseball. Um, if he would have wanted to put an addition on his house, or let's just say something simple, and let's say he was going to redo the kitchen, and you go and, and you have this amount of money that you think you're going to be allotted because of the amount of work that you're going to do, and then none of that happens but you'd already hired people to try and renovate your kitchen and now you're just stuck behind. Like, I don't know how you try and better yourself when you have to continuously look over your shoulder and make sure that you're going to have a job. That's, I think, the worst part about all of this. I think that's the scariest part about everything like this. Nobody likes to be insecure. Nobody likes to not know what's going to happen in a day or week a month. Obviously, um, humans are, are creatures of habit anyways, but they also don't like to not be in control of a lot of things. That's why teenagers rebel against their parents, because they don't want to give up the control that they could have over their life to somebody else. And now I'm slowly starting to realize that even though working in sports, it should be fairly autonomous. You obviously have um, people that you're gonna have to. Um, you're you're gonna have people that you have to go and, and deal with. Like you have your people that you're subordinated under, but you're basically on your own and have control over whatever else you want to work. Except now you don't because we're not gonna have any sports. Sports aren't important right now. Well, I can tell you, like sports are really important to the small town triple a radio announcer that all of a sudden this summer is not going to have any games to broadcast like i know 
plenty of people, Christian, you, you guys know Christian from the earlier episodes. He had a lot of work upcoming that he was supposed to do in this time period of the calendar, and now none of it is happening. And that's that's what scares me about this the most. That's what I am not sure about the most, and I don't... I hate it. I hate that I'm not able to know for sure where my industry is going to be even in the next year. I think next year is going to be I think where we're going to be somewhat back to normal, but I also think that it's going to be very difficult and it's not going to be very easy to get back there. And I think the longer you have like the California governor that thinks he's going to extend the stay-at-home order till May and all you're going to see is a whole bunch of backlash from that. I don't think that that's going to solve anything. I think that's going to make a lot of stuff worse. Um, but that's enough of, enough talk about that kind of stuff. Just know that I'm Robin Williams from Good Morning Vietnam, and that's all you have to know. Uh, all right, so I figured since there's not a lot going on in the world in general because everybody's staying at home, Oh, that was the other thing that I was going to talk about. Okay, so obviously, you got if you guys have listened to the shows that I've done with Dom, um, and if you look at the logo of the podcast, it's fairly easy to tell that I, I'm a big professional wrestling fan, and um, that I I do know that it's staged. I know that they know who wins, but I have a really deep appreciation for the amount of punishment that they put themselves through and I appreciate the athleticism that it takes to do a lot of the moves that they do and it takes a lot of strength to pick somebody else up even if they know that they're going to get picked up. That all being said, I was probably the biggest WWE fan back around 2005 to maybe 2010-ish is when I first fell out of love with it and I wasn't watching it all the time. But that was that year was just after um, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit both died, and I remember those very vividly because those were two of my favorites. I mean, everybody loved the the Viva la Raza, and you knew exactly who was coming out when you heard that. Let's see if I can find it. Yeah, here it is. Like that was one of those. Everybody, my Dom said it on the last episode that he was on. Everybody, when you hear the glass break, you know Stone Cold was coming out. When you heard "Viva la Raza," you knew Eddie Guerrero was going to be somewhere. And uh, he has probably my favorite match of all time back in the '90s against Rey Mysterio and WCW. But when I was watching him in WWE, he was funny. I didn't appreciate just how funny he was. He made the programming goofy. He was goofy. I love the the lie, cheat, and steal where he'd get a chair in the middle of the ring when the referee wasn't looking, smack the canvas, and then toss it to the guy he was wrestling and act like he got hit in the head with it. That was my favorite. I knew the spot was coming almost every match, but I, I didn't care. That was my favorite Eddie Guerrero moment. Um, I used to love lie, lie cheat, and steal. And then when he died suddenly, um, 
and they had the tribute for him the next night, and then on Friday night, because he was mainly a SmackDown um, wrestler, they did a tribute for him on SmackDown too, and that was the other. That was the first time that I cried for somebody I didn't personally know. I can't remember exactly how old I was, but I wasn't necessarily old enough to understand exactly um, what death is at that point. I know that I had had a, a great uncle that was I th- was super close to. I think. At least when I I can, because I don't remember a ton of memories with him, with my Uncle George, but I can remember how much it affected me after we went to his funeral and after I understood that he wasn't going to be there ever again. So I kind of understood that. Um, and, And then when my dad told me Eddie Guerrero died, that was the first time that I cried for somebody I didn't know personally. I didn't under, really understand why I was crying. I just knew that I was upset that he wasn't going to be on TV anymore. We watched all the tribute shows. Uh, even if I watch those tribute shows now because you can search them on YouTube or, or the WWE Network. Um, it's still it's still not the easiest thing for me to watch. I still feel... Um, it was like a sick feeling in my stomach. So that's, that's what happened when Eddie died. And then I think it was maybe a year later, maybe even less than that. Chris Benoit, they have, it was a Monday. They said Chris Benoit and his family were all dead. Nobody knew what was going on. WWE ran a three hour tribute for Chris Benoit that Monday night, everybody was just as broken up about him dying as they were about Eddie Guerrero dying. Um, and I didn't cry because I liked Benoit. I thought that he was fun to watch. The Rabbit Wolverine was probably my favorite nickname of anybody in, in the company at that point. So I was really, it wasn't like I didn't like him. I just wasn't as attached to him as I was to uh, Eddie Guerrero. And then it comes out a little bit later that um, it wasn't a freak thing. Like Chris Benoit had killed his wife Nancy and his son Daniel. And then killed himself afterwards. And this was at the point where I didn't really understand nuances of a personality. I thought that if somebody would have done that that they would have been a bad person the entire time. And I remember it was actually funny because it was one of the trips that we took to Gunnison as a family. And I had seen something on social media about how his other son from his first marriage, Benoit's other son from his first marriage, still idolized Chris and still thought that he was as good of a person as any. And it was just a bad situation that happened. This was... Before, um, a lot of the CTE stuff has come has come out, but there was a former professional wrestler that was now a PhD in neuroscience or something like that. And he was he contacted the Benoit family and did a autopsy of his brain, and it was shown to just have as many um, 
as much tau protein as you can have in your brain, he had. And uh, I watched. It was probably a dumb idea because I was sitting there watching it and did almost start bursting out crying for I don't know what reason. Um, but if you search the Chris Benoit story that Vice did on YouTube, and I'm going to try and pull up the actual title of it. Let's see. Ah. Dark Side of the Ring, Benoit. It's a two-part series Vice put out on YouTube as well. They originally aired it on their channel, and then they put it back on YouTube. If you are interested to hearing a little bit more about that situation, it's a, it's a tough situation. A, fam, a, a husband who murders his family in the house and then kills himself was not necessarily the most uplifting of a story. But if you remember that, and you wanted a little bit more of a explanation as to what was going on or why all this happened. That's actually very eye-opening. And not only was it the CTE complications that he was struggling with, but he had lost his best friend. Like him and Eddie, everybody on that documentary said that him and Eddie were as close as anybody could ever be. And he was just never right again after Eddie died. And that doesn't give him an excuse or anything. He's still a piece of of human garbage, especially during that weekend and leading up until that point. But also, I'm starting to wonder how exactly should he have reacted after he had lost what he considered to be his brother to a freak thing. And I don't know, I, I can't objectively say that I would react any differently. And it's a hard thing to admit. It's a hard thing to think about. I don't want to think about any of my siblings or really close friends ever dying before me. I hope that we all live to be 130 and I'm the first one that goes. Um, but I just, it was an interesting take on all of it. And I was talking to my dad about it. And he... Obviously, everybody knows that there's not nothing is black and white. Nothing is exactly for this reason. There's always some sort of gray area somewhere. Um, but he he doesn't appreciate it at all. He thinks that um, WWE was trying to cover everything up after they realized what they had done when they gave a a murderer a. Um, a, a three-hour tribute show no matter what he accomplished in the ring no matter how many people loved him they should have at least waited until the following week because the police in georgia that went and because they were originally just doing a wellness check on the benoit house because he was supposed to be in town for a pay-per-view and he never was the wwe called the sheriff's department in the county that benoit lived in and were they went to do a um, a wellness check and found the three bodies. Um, and I thought that it was just a, a thing where something happened and he snapped. And he was, he was on steroids, so he was a huge guy. He was really strong. 
And I, I could have dealt with it a little bit better if he had just snapped, like something had just broken him. But they were they talk about Eddie Guerrero's late Eddie Guerrero Guerrero's widow, Vicky, um, was really close with Nancy and Chris while they were alive and they would talk about how Chris, especially right after Eddie died, he would go over to the Guerrero's house with Nancy and try and comfort them, but then he'd always end up somehow in the bedroom on Eddie's side of the bed bawling. And uh, so they they talk about how they got him a diary and they thought that that was helping him get out some of the emotions and get him a way to talk, quote-unquote, to Eddie. Um, and, and then they uncovered his internet search history, which... Uh, is really dark looking back on it but um, he strangled Nancy placed a bible next to her um, gave his son enough Xanax to where he would never he wouldn't wake up and then smothered him with a pillow and then he went into his gym, grabbed a cable from the lap pull-down machine, and hung himself. And the police found in his internet records that he had looked up the easiest way to, easiest and least painful way to break your own neck. And um, it was obvious what he was doing after all the details came out. And he, in his mind thought that it would be better for him and his family. What I really think, should he have done anything that he did? Obviously not. I think that he's a terrible person, especially in the last 24 hours that he was on this earth. Um, like, the, the fucker went and cuddled his son after he had murdered his wife. It's so difficult to try and put that into perspective and to try and humanize somebody who can do that. But that's where I cherish the sociology classes that I've taken in my time here in, in school and know that um, there's not really an explanation and there's not really a, a cut and dry thing that you can call him. Because uh, another way that you can look at the events that he did in the last 24 hours or so of his life, um, he wanted to be reunited with his best friend. He didn't think that he could live on Earth without Eddie being there. And he didn't want to leave his family behind. Somewhat. Because he, he still has the other kid from his first marriage. <sighs> And it's, I really recommend watching the documentary and trying to come up with your own opinions of everything that happened. Um, I think that it was a crime of passion, even though there was some evidence that, that led to other opinions on it. I think that it was a crime of passion. He legitimately couldn't take it being there without Eddie anymore. 
he needed Eddie, and he also couldn't fathom leaving his son without a father or his wife without a husband. And it was the wrong thing entirely to do. He should have been talking to somebody else about it the whole time. They should have put him in some sort of counseling system for depression because it wasn't difficult with everything that they were describing to pick out that this guy was severely depressed and that he had just lost his best friend and didn't know what to do with himself. So there, in hindsight, there's a lot of things that should have been done. Either way, it's it's one of the most tragic, I think, stories that I can remember happening in, in real life. And um, I think that it's tragic because it took an industry that at one point was the top of the top of all of the entertainment and uh, everybody was watching and I think that's when you started to see um, a lot of people lose their respect for professional wrestling and lose their appetite to watch because they knew what a uh, what kind of horrors could come from any of that. It's a great documentary and I think I'm going to start trying to watch a documentary a week. I think I'm going to start Tiger King and I'll talk about Tiger King next week. But I just hadn't gotten around to that one. I, I w- really wanted to get through the Benoit one. I didn't think that I would actually make it all the way through, but I did. I It was a great documentary. It's a horrible situation. Horrible person. Uh, but you never know how... I guess you never know how you're going to react to something until you're presented with it. And I think the only thing that everybody can hope for is that whatever you were taught, however your temperament is, that you're going to make the right decision. And unfortunately, he didn't make the right decision. But I don't think that it condemns him completely. I think that he did have a lot of redeeming stuff. And if you look at the situation as a whole, I could see a lot of people having the same rationale that he did. Whether or not they do it is a different story. Um, But it's definitely a delicate situation. Um, so yeah, so go watch um, a Benoit story, Dark Side of Dark Side of Wrestling, uh, on Vice's YouTube channel. You won't regret it. And now transitioning towards the end of the show, so I'm gonna do uh, a random historical fact for today's date, which is April 15th. I know you're listening to this on April 16th, but I recorded it the day early. And then a random news story that I found, and then we're gonna do another verses. And this one is going to be interesting. We're doing Arnold Schwarzenegger versus The Rock. I'm going to find... uh, I have both of their IMDBs pulled up. And uh, we're going to go roll for roll and see who would win. But for the random historical facts for today... um, In 1877, on April 15th, 1877, the first telephone was installed. Boston-Somerville... In Massachusetts, in 1912, the RMS Titanic sunk at 2.27 in the morning off Newfoundland uh, as the band played on. So that was that's actually kind of interesting. This is the uh, 1912, 2020, 118th anniversary of the RMAC sinking. Hopefully I'm right. If not, I'm sure you guys will let me know about it on social media. In film and TV history... In Living Color premiered on this date in 1990. 1729, 
Johann Sebastian Bach's St. Matthew's Passion premiered. First time that he played this, played that composition. And then the big one that I think a lot of people probably already know, um, but April 15, 1947, Jackie Robinson becomes the first African-American to play in the U.S. Major League Baseball for the Brooklyn Dodgers. Um, and this is obviously, I think, if baseball was going on today, it would have been Jackie Robinson Day today, where you would have seen all the players wear number 42 with no last names to honor him in his memory. Um, so check out 42 as well. After you watch The Dark Side of the Ring and you want to see something that has a little bit more uplifting of a story, don't watch the first half of the movie if you've not seen 42. But you can turn on 42 and then you'll see a, a triumphant story about race told through baseball. <clears throat> For the random his random news story, it's actually from yesterday, but CBS News reported about a elderly woman in Pennsylvania, Olive Baronesi. She was down to her last 12 cans of beer last week and went viral for asking more with a cheeky whiteboard message. So she would hold up a whiteboard out inside of her house going out of her window to the street of her neighborhood. She held up a whiteboard that said she, uh, she needed more beer. Um, she's staying home during the virus pandemic because she is, uh, 93. Yeah, I would definitely stay home if I was her too. Her sign just read, I need more beer. She's smiling and holding a can of Coors Light in the picture that they posted on social media. She went viral. Um, she says she has a beer every night to relax her and, and thinks it's nice. And um, it was posted to Facebook last Thursday. And it was shared more than 51,000 times as of Tuesday this week. So it actually made it all the way up to the maker of Coors Light. And he sent her as much beer as she could possibly drink. And then she was a good sport about it. Afterwards, after everybody, after all the beer was delivered at her house, she went out to her front porch, had the same whiteboard, um, and is leaning up against a case of Coors Light, and her whiteboard sign now says, got more beer. So that's a nice, uplifting story to come out of this pandemic. Um, I feel like even though everything else in the world is really serious, there's always a silver lining story, and I would love to have a beer with Olive, honestly. I think that if you want to talk about mental toughness and worrying about controlling what you can control, this is actually a really good example of it. Where she knew that she can't leave the house to get more beer. And uh, I think she was trying to do it originally just to put a smile on people's faces. Like seeing a 93-year-old woman with a whiteboard that says she ne she needs more beer. Um, is kind of funny at first. I don't think that she originally thought that she was going to go viral and get the response that she did. But now she has 150 cans of Coors Light, and hopefully we don't have to be self-isolated before she has to get more beers so she can go out to the liquor store and get her beers herself. I'd also kind of like to see uh, 
a news story about her on cbsnews.com. They do have a video of her talking about how she felt after she got the beer. So good on you. Shout out to Olive Veronesi, um, keeping the priorities straight, thinking that beer is more important than the pandemic. I can't. I couldn't agree with her more. And now we're going to get into the versus battle. I'm not sure how this one is going to go. Um, you guys obviously went against me in the last versus battle where you thought that um, Captain America would beat the Green Lantern. But we're going to see how this goes. So just starting off, I think the best way to do this is I'm going to pick five of what I think are their best movie roles. And then have them battle. For Arnold, we'll start with his first feature, American feature film role, and that was Conan the Barbarian. Obviously, The Terminator. I think John Matrix, his character in Commando, is a good one. Hmm. And then I'm not quite sure who else to pick because he has Dutch from Predator he also has Ben Richards from The Running Man also Quaid from Total Recall and then you have Kimball um I'm gonna write this down so I can remember which ones I picked and I don't have to keep going back and forth on the IMDB pages so for Arnold chose Conan Barbarian Terminator John Matrix Oh, so I can pick. So then the last two would be... Hmm. I might get heat for this one, but I'm going to go with Ben Richards from The Running Man over Dutch. Um, mainly because I think that The Running Man is a cool story, and I'm definitely more of a, a book nerd. So... The fact that that's based off of a Stephen King novel gives it a little bit more street cred in my mind. And then for his fifth role, I'm going to pick uh, Kimball from Kindergarten Cop because he has a lot more, um, I think, serious action roles than The Rock does. And honestly, I feel like if they're going to remake Kindergarten, if they were to do a remake of Kindergarten Cop, they should put The Rock in as Kimball for the rock okay for the rock we're gonna start out with mm, We'll start out with Agent 23 from Get Smart. 
spoiler alert if you've never seen Get Smart, Agent 23 is the uh, top agent of the, I can't remember what, what agency they work for, but he's the top agent, um, gets all the tough cases, gets all the pretty girls, and then ends up being a double agent at the end of it, and Steve Carell um, French kisses him to knock him off his game and then knocks him off a train at the end. Um, I'm going to go for the next role for The Rock. I'll go with uh, The Driver from Faster. Because if you've ever seen that movie, he basically takes out everybody that he comes in contact with with one punch. Um, Hobbs is kind of a given. He's always going to have Hobbs. From the Fast and the Furious franchise. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to put Hercules on there just because Arnold has also played Hercules. But I haven't seen Arnold so I, I won't be able to compare those two. I have three so far. Also with Paul Doyle from Pain and Gain, and I know he's got one. Ah, and then the last one will be Mitch Buchanan from Baywatch. That'll, I kind of tried to uh, keep the roles somewhat comparable. So, in this fantasy knockdown drag out fight where I am the supreme ruler of some alternate civilization and I can pick two actors and I can summon like we'll just, I can summon all of the characters that they've ever had and Conan or excuse me Arnold and the rock walk into my um, where'd my phone go ah. Arnold and Dwayne walk into my arena for this fight. Let's see what happens. All right. I would say that Arnold is the bigger icon. I'm almost not entirely sure who is the bigger icon because, yes, Arnold has more... Outside success um, with his bodybuilding career and then being a seven-time Mr. Olympia and um, I think basically the most famous bodybuilder of all time so far. But then you also have The Rock, who was the most popular character in the WWE when the WWE was the most popular thing in the country. So first up, we have Conan the Barbarian versus Agent 23. A um, little bit of an unfair fight to start off with. Conan is the main character of his movie, and uh, Agent 23 is the main antagonist. So he, we don't actually get to see a ton of Agent 23. We know that he's very good. like He's a tactical expert and martial arts expert. Um, and if it was just a straight-up fist fight against Steve Carell... And Max Smart probably beat him one-on-one, -on -one, but with Conan and his giant sword, I think that it gives Agent 23 a lot of problems. Uh, this is not 
also Agent 23 is not the rock when he's all blown up. So for Conan versus Agent 23, I'm going to give the nod to Conan. Next up, the driver versus Terminator. This also probably is a little bit of a mismatch. Um, hmm. So for the Terminator, obviously he's one of the most iconic movie roles of all time. I'll be back. Come with me if you want to live. Um, but the driver... I think the main thing that you have to think about with this matchup is you have to go see Driver. I know, or Faster. I know a lot of people have not seen Faster. Um, I think my dad and I have watched it once. I've only seen it once or twice. But I do know that the Driver um, is very. Like, he's very dangerous, very deadly, and he's chasing down the people who had put him in prison originally. And he's not very nice when he does find those people. That being said, I think it's hard to argue a regular person, no matter how deadly he is, against a cyborg. So I'm going to give the Terminator the nod against Driver from Faster. So, so far, Arnold's up two to nothing. Next matchup, Hobbs versus John Matrix. I think this might be the most even fight of each of their these guys' roles. Uh, Hobbs kind of sort of turns into a superhero towards the end. If you watch like Fast 7 or Furious 7, when he breaks his arm in the beginning of the movie. And then at the end of the movie, he just decides that he's going to break the cast and, um, you know, fuck everything else that's been going on for the rest of the movie. I'm a badass. I'm going to break this, break out of this. And... Um, he ends up doing that, but I feel like that's kind of uh, an interesting place. John Matrix, I think other than Rambo, is the most deadly military person put to film of all time. Like, John Rambo takes out, or not John Rambo. John Matrix takes out a lot of people, and I think this came out before Rambo was taking on full armies. It's a tough one, and just to keep things kind of interesting, I'm going to give this one to Hobbs because of, I mean, who is going to, like, John Matrix is really good when you kidnap his daughter, but he was trying to get out. Hobbs is not trying to get out anytime soon. Uh, he's still full-time on duty, so I'm going to give that one to Hobbs. Paul Doyle against Ben Richards. It's an interesting matchup. Paul Doyle, if you've seen Pain and Gain, you know that Paul Doyle is, I think, the biggest that The Rock has ever been on screen, uh, bulk-wise. He, uh, Paul Doyle, Pain and Gain was a movie based off of real-life crime where Paul Doyle, um, I gotta look up, um, who Mark Wahlberg's character was in this movie. Hope you guys like the I have a tiger going on in the background. Thought that it was fitting for this versus battle. Daniel Lugo. 
so pain and gain follows Daniel Lugo, who is a trainer who works at a gym. Um, feels like if he he works hard enough and everything that he was told about the American dream was supposed to be attainable if he worked as hard as he did to get his physique in the kind of shape that he was in. Um, thought that the world kind of owed him something or thinks that it's basically like a a shitty Robin Hood to where instead of taking from the rich and giving to the needy, he was just going to take from the rich and that's it. Just take all what the rich uh, had that he felt was rightfully his. Botch, they botched the kidnapping, botched the murder. Um, it's a really... It's more of a guy movie, but I think it's actually... I didn't like it when I first saw it because we took the entire family to go see it and it's a rated R movie. Um... Mark Wahlberg bangs a stripper on the hood of his car. It's a little bit interesting to watch as a family. But the more you watch it on your own, the more I watch it on my own, I really start to gain more of an appreciation for it. Um, and he's a big, big-ass dude, was in prison for a long time, and do, he does know how to fight. He has a, a really good fight scene in that movie. Um, and then we put him up against Ben Richards from The Running Man. And now, if you know The Running Man the movie i haven't read the book i just know that it's based off of a stephen king book uh it's basically a dystopian future and this corporation it puts on like a like a live death race like death trap machine i don't know they they go through a whole bunch of obstacles and um people bet on who they think is going to be the last one alive I honestly haven't seen this one in a long time, so I don't know quite Ben Richards' backstory, but I do know that he goes through all the way through it, and he has one of the best, I think, uh, what are you gonna, oh, movie threats of all time, where he's gonna, he's gonna, um, reach down your throat, I'm gonna reach down your throat and pull out your goddamn spine! Um, that being said, I think... Paul Doyle is a little bit more desperate, and I think that he's going to fight a little bit less fairly, and I think that he would end up getting an advantage over Ben Richards. So I picked Paul Doyle to beat Ben Richards. So now Arnold has two, and um, The Rock also has two. So it's going to come down to the last role. Arnold Schwarzenegger, obviously that's Kindergarten Cop. And then Dwayne Johnson's last role was Mitch Buchanan. If you're going to go movie for movie with these last two, I'm going to say that Kindergarten Cop, I think, is better than Baywatch and more of a classic, even though it's not, I don't think that it did huge numbers when it originally came out back in 1990, but it's definitely more of a classic. I think, uh, I think that more people would have seen Kindergarten Cop than Baywatch. Um, honestly, The Rock's character in Baywatch was definitely way more comic relief than I was expecting. It wasn't, and I never watched the TV show, so I guess I had no reference for how he was going to be or what his character would have been like. Kindergarten Cop is proven, um, takes down, he solves the case in the movie and he also learns how to be a kindergarten teacher in the span of like three weeks and then he gets the kindergarten class to be like a police academy um 
It's a great movie. I, I recommend, out of all of these, I think the best movies to watch would be, I'm going to say Commando, Pain and Gain, and probably Kindergarten Cop would be the top three movies out of these ones. But I'm going to give the edge to Kimball and Schwarzenegger and Kindergarten Cop over Mitch Buchanan in Baywatch. Um, it's just a lifeguard. Nothing special about him there. Um, so, at least in my opinion, I'm obviously going to put this out on the social medias. So, you guys make sure you go vote on the poll on the Center of Attention Twitter. And then also vote. Uh, so, that Center of Attention Twitter is at COAPod73. I'm going to post that poll probably tomorrow, a little bit after this episode drops. And then I'm also going to put it on my instagram story so follow me on instagram at proud underscore wop vote in that poll as well and uh, i'll announce who won on next thursday's episode and see if we're going to do another versus i think kyle's going to be on again next week so we'll see what happens there maybe i'll give him somebody and we'll, we'll do a versus where it's not just the same person arguing back and forth for each role that was the versus battle for today hope you guys enjoyed it kind of wrapping up here now um it's about 1 30 i still haven't showered full disclosure um got up and did a workout earlier this morning and uh got some schoolwork taken care of so i'm gonna probably get ready to shower and uh it's pretty much it i don't really have anything else going on really for the rest of the week um Finally get to start closing down some of the rooms, which will be good. Uh, I think the custodian went through and cleaned all the rooms last week, so by Thursday I should be able to go in whatever room I want. Uh, I'm planning on getting that done really quickly so that I can try and leave as fast as possible and get home. So that's probably what I'm going to start doing. Um, Oh, update, because I know I did give you guys my... uh, video game stats last week uh, and we talked about Kyle and I's we, we co-parent a the center for the former center for the Pittsburgh Penguins uh, but I actually we went through the last season with the Penguins won the Stanley Cup and the Conn Smythe and I think we had 323 points which is 200 more points than the original record for season and um, we had over 350 hits so we James ended up getting traded to uh, the Capitals. So still in the same division, and we're on a two-year contract with the Capitals. We'll see what happens with that. Um, and then we'll see if I start any other games. I haven't played any Grand Theft Auto this week. Uh, been focusing on I've, – I've been playing a lot of Madden, um, MLB, and NHL. But I'll probably get back into um, – probably get back into Grand Theft Auto coming up here so that I can keep you guys updated with that character. I want to get through and try and start playing online and I'll chronicle that for you guys as well. I'm pretty sure I'm going to get my ass kicked online. As for the show, thank you guys for listening. Um, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please, 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 please rate us five stars, leave a review. That way iTunes starts seeing that we're growing this um, stable of stallions a little bit more 
and starting to grow the audience for each episode a little bit more. Um, I have, I, I mentioned it at the beginning, we have the sports show that comes out every Monday. These regular shows come out every Thursday, and they're available on all platforms. Um, Apple Podcasts, all the ones I think except for Spotify, you can subscribe to the show. All the new episodes will pop up right into your feed, automatically downloaded to your phone. Um, Spotify, if you follow the show, you'll be able to keep up with the new episodes as they come out as well. But there's no, um, not really subscribing and you can't rate on Spotify. So, um, Follow the Center of Attention Twitter at COAPod73. That's all caps. Follow me on Twitter at Jimmy Pilato. Um, Instagram is at Proud underscore WAP. My TikTok is also at Jimmy Pilato. Starting to post a little bit more on there. Um, and, and honestly, guys, reach out to me either through social media, tweet at me, or um, you can leave the reviews on the show. I'm going to read all the reviews for the show. We ha- only have one so far. And it was positive, but I'm hoping that we start getting a little bit more of those. Um, and, and if you really want me to, like, you can ask for a shout-out. I'll shout you out on the podcast after you give us a review. But I really would appreciate that because um, we're over we're, – we're, the view, the plays, like, the listens are getting there. Right now we're at 560 plays total, which for 20 episodes I feel like is decent. Um, I, I think it could be a little bit better. But – Please, 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 if you do listen on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review it. Um, that really helps out. That helps out as much as anything. I'm still working on getting the cam- like the visual stuff set up. That'll probably end up happening closer to next fall. If anything else, I'm probably going to save up as much money as I can over the summer to get that going. And then we'll also relaunch the YouTube channel when that happens. But for now... Follow me on social media, subscribe to the show, follow the show on Spotify, leave a rate and a review. That would be absolutely clutch if you guys did that. And for now, I think that'll be it. Um, thank you guys for listening. Thank you for letting me be your center of attention. I'm the Jim, the Italian stallion, Jimmy Pilato, and I will see you guys on Monday for our sports show.